welcome to Storytelling. In the UK, we are currently experiencing the largest strike in the history of the National Health Service as nursing staff in England, Northern Ireland and Wales demand fair pay and patient safety. However, what is it like to work on the front line as a nurse in modern day Britain and in particular during the COVID pandemic? One nurse shares his story. Please welcome Alfred Batella. Hello, Alfred, and welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Alfred, you are from the Philippines. Mm. You came over to work for the NHS. Can you tell me about your journey? So I have moved here from the Philippines, from Manila, 2016. Basically, there was a change with NMC for us to get pins. And it was a very interesting journey. It was hard because a lot of people here didn't know what to do with the new changes. But eventually we got the hang of it. It didn't help that when we came, it was just me, myself and I, and some few other nurses. So I didn't have much support in terms of my co-fellow Filipinos. I managed to get through. I am an intensive care specialist nurse. I worked in an ICU. Immediately, once I got my pin, I started as a band five nurse. And from there on, it was a really nice journey. I learned a lot, gained new friends and with the knowledge because you were in the UK. I was quite surprised with the NHS that healthcare was free, that if a patient needs something, it gets done. For example, in my area, because it's intensive care, if we need a patient for a scan or things, it gets done immediately and for free. So that was an eye opener for me. Eventually, I got up the ranks. The support they have in my hospital, which I'm very lucky, is quite massive. Were you aware of the history of the NHS in terms of the support that they require from overseas? Yeah, definitely. I've known plenty of nurses who came here over like way before me, like in the 2000s, 1990s, even going back to the Windrush, even going back to the early Filipinos who came here in the 1960s, post-war. So a lot of that immigration of nurses, of migrant workers to support the NHS, I've actually known that for quite some time. And then in 2020, we were faced with a pandemic. You found yourself in the midst of (laughs) working in that pandemic. So can you describe your experience of actually mm. being on a COVID ward. Yeah, funnily enough, the last time I went home to the Philippines was December 2019. And I remember in Singapore, I was staying there for a bit after a flight. There were news about this virus from a country and people are a bit worried and then went back to the UK and it was fine. Come February, we were getting reports about this new virus, which is called coronavirus, and it, it was called novel coronavirus. And we were actually preparing an intensive care already that, okay, if we get this patients, then this is our plans, this is what we'll do. And then we were even saying, oh, if we get a patient, we shouldn't worry because it will be transferred to the, the specialist infection hospital because that's where they should be, infectious patients. It's like, okay, fine, we got plans in place in a hospital 
midweek of March, I had the first COVID patient and I was looking after him and he was in a side room being isolated. And then when the microbiology rang and said, oh, it's actually COVID, I felt scared for my patient and I felt scared for me. And I checked, did I wear my PPE properly? Was I protected as well? How is my patient? And it was the start and it was horrible because that time not many nurses can look after patients because we needed proper masks to fit you. So if a mask doesn't fit you, you can't look after them. So there's just a few of us. It started with one patient and eventually it just went really, really fast. We were in one unit, so we are like 10, 12 bed capacity. After the next few days, it just started trickling over and everyone just kept testing positive. And we're like, what is this? We started overflowing to recovery, theatres. There was a massive influx and all the patients that started getting in were COVID. That time, I recently just became a senior nurse level, band six, and I was nurse in charge and I didn't have much experience with that. But we had to rise to the challenge. And honestly, that time it was like firefighting. It was like being in a battle, but you don't know what you're fighting with. So you were basically in the deep end. And I'm guessing because it was a new phenomenon at the time, did you feel as though the training you had prepared you for it? Or was it a big surprise? I've been an ITU nurse for 12 years. We're used to high stressful areas, but this was on a different scale. The training we had, it was good, but you have to be resilient. The training goes up the window. You know, you should pull all the strength you can from every other part of your body because it was like a war, basically. It was literally just keeping patients alive and just keeping their heart beating because everyone's asleep, sedated in ITU, and they're just sick. We get sick patients, but they are 10 times sick as what we normally had. So we tripled their bed capacity like many other hospitals, we had no nurses because you need to have an ITU nurse to look after an ITU patient. But there's not enough ITU nurses because the ratio has dwindled because there's more patients, there are less specialist nurses. So we were in a very tight pickle. So to provide perspective for everyone, can you give an example of how many patients you would normally have in an ITU unit compared to what happened during that COVID season? For example, in our unit, we had 10 beds. In COVID, we tripled that up to 30. Us as an ITU nurse you um, in the UK, you are supposed to look after an intubated patient, which is intubated connecting to a breathing machine who is on an artificial coma or needing life support, basically. It's one-to-one. But then with COVID, we came one-to-three, one-to-four we had to ration care. We had to make sure that we are working on a time manner, which means we didn't have a lot of people at the start. We did get redeployed people, but again, they weren't ITU nurses. There was extra pair of hands. They were quite helpful. But then again, they were also as much surprised at what we are doing because to them, these are new stuff. So you have to teach them on top of what you're doing. It was helpful, but at the same time, it was an added task to the nurses who were already struggling. And also, these patients are not just normal sick patients, they're extra sick patients. So what we do in ITU, there's a procedure, we prone them 
basically imagine an intubated artificial coma patients and we flip them facing the front to help the breathing. So we do that. And that is a very difficult task. And then the level of care that was there was just a bit lower than we used to be. And that is what's really frustrating to a lot of nurses, especially to me, because we are used to giving the highest standards of care, but you just can't because you only have two hands and we don't get much breaks. So how did it make you feel in the circumstance of looking after all these patients, being overworked? That time I was nurse in charge. So basically I run the ship. People look up to me. So I need to be grounded. I need to know what I'm doing, which most of the time I knew what I was doing, but it came to a point that what was happening? I'm going to share it to you. This was a real experience. I was doing my rounds and then I was walking through the corridor. I was in theaters and honestly, it was in the movie. Everything around me just went slow motion. Mm. Like I was walking, everything was so slow. And I was thinking to myself, like, what is happening? This is war. This is firefighting. This is war nursing. Like, why am I doing this? What's happening to the world? Then everything went fast again. And that's like the weirdest experience for me. When I was there, I felt like I was a duck. <laughs> Outside, I was gliding, but my webs were paddling as much as they can to keep me afloat. So recounting this, because I'm going to say it early now, I have PTSD from this COVID. Were you at any stage worried about becoming ill yourself? Oh, yeah. I haven't had COVID officially. For the last three years, I've been in the front line, which I actually call the end of line because we're intensive care. It's either you make it or you break it. I haven't had it. But during the first few weeks, I had a cough and then I was getting paranoid as well. I was really scared. And because you had cough, you had to self-isolate. And they weren't testing us nurses that time because if they test us positive, which means they have to test everyone. (laughs) So there weren't any tests available for us. It was only for the sickest. But then after that, we had the antibody testing. Yes. I never had antibodies, which means I never had a virus. So I wear my PPE like my second skin, which gave me pressure ulcers. We gave me bruises, lots of paper cuts. But I was really scared for myself as well because I live alone here that time and I didn't have anyone with me. You describe the PPE equipment that you wore during that time just to give everyone a sense. It was hot. It was thick. It's very flimsy. It's made out of plastic. It's like a body bag, basically. So I wore a mask. That's what I call my Darth Vader mask. It's special for me. I had filters. And then we had to wear the gown. And during those times, we can't be bare hands that time. So we had triple gloves. We had to tape the gloves to our gown so there is no space. We had to wear a hat and the face shields. And we have to wear that all the time. There was a point we had to be mindful about it because there wasn't enough of it. We had to wear an apron, so it was really hot and it was really warm. We call it duffing. It is at least five, ten minutes to properly duff safely. And which means we have to make sure when we eat, we do it all at the same time. Because first, it's a task to put it on and take it out. And second, we have to be mindful of the usage. We had a lockdown. Yeah. As things got worse, how did it make you feel knowing that there was this lockdown? How did it make you feel that, for example, eight o'clock every evening, everyone would come out of their houses and clap and cheer for you? What was it feeling like internally as a nurse when all that was happening? So the first 
clap for carers. It was quite emotional. It was really good. We liked it. I liked it personally for me, the first few ones. Then eventually it became a weekly thing. And then I was like a bit, okay, but you're not doing a lot. People just wanted you to stay at home. I know it's hard, but we are actually struggling in the NHS, which people are not actually saying quite a lot, but we are. So just stay at home, protect your families. And also at that time as well, we're getting abuse from the public and relatives, phone calls. Oh, you killed my mom. Oh, this is fake. This is not a real virus. Oh, this is a government agenda. The amount of death I've seen is probably more than the amount of deaths you'll see in your lifetime. So I was kind of over the clap for carers because I'm like, yeah, no, we don't need that. We need actually more PPEs. We need good pay. We need better pay. We were taxed more because basically we had to work extra shift to cover. And then the taxman came back and said, oh, you work so much. You need to pay us more for tax. It wasn't our choice to work a lot. <laughs> there weren't any people working. But yeah, it was a nice gesture for a bit, but eventually it lost its spark for me. So you mentioned just now that you faced abuse from patients and relatives. Well, mainly a lot of relatives or like public, yeah. So how did that make you feel? Because you were working really hard. Yeah. And you had people saying to you that COVID didn't exist, despite the yeah. fact you had lots of sick patients. That time I was so mad, but I was keeping it chill. You're a nurse. We had like three waves. The first wave was like March, April. The second wave was like November to Feb. And then the last wave was like last year. So the first wave, which was kind of understandable, we were just saying sorry because we got the frustration. We had a patient and during that time, there were no visitors at all. Even when they are dead, there weren't any visitors. He called five times to ask if his mom has died. And then eventually I had to tell him, I'm really sorry, she's gone. And he just started crying on the phone. And then there was one that, you killed my parents, you killed my mom. We're going to wait for you in the parking lot, things like that. There was one I was updating. He cut me off. He's like, I'm really sorry. I don't believe in this COVID. And I was just, look, you're entitled to your opinion, but your opinion is to yourself. Keep it to yourself. COVID is real. Your mom has COVID. And one of the reasons she's caught this sick because she prevented her from getting the vaccine. I just didn't want to deal with their abuse anymore because I was over it. And the amount of deaths I've seen in my life, well, for that few months, were starting to affect me. All this disinformation. And it was so frustrating. But on the other side, there are families who were very appreciative, very thankful, very understanding. So that keeps us going at the same time. And this obviously had a profound effect on you. You mentioned earlier that you suffered from PTSD. It started around December 2020. It was a second wave to, to listeners. I'm a, I'm a jolly man who likes to joke, who likes to sing Western musicals on my shift and play Let It Go by Elsa. <laughs> so the, I'm that kind of chill, happy, go lucky nurse in charge. During those times, I was already struggling. I was talking to my matron in private. Look, I'm struggling a lot now and I think it's affecting my mental health. But I'll keep going because us nurses, especially ITU, it's ingrained to us to keep going. It's ingrained to us that it is for the patients. Everything is for the patients. Everything we do is just to keep the patients safe, 
alive and make them go through this. And the camaraderie, the teamwork of our team was so good. You don't want to let people down because we were working as a symbiotic team. We were living, breathing as one. If one is struggling, everyone just gets in to help them out. So there is an extra pressure to not let the team down. And also we're down by nurses, so you don't want to be out of the numbers. So it started as when I wake up to work, I already have anxiety. As do I have enough nurses today? How many patients will I have? We'll have many, plenty of deaths. And then when I go home, my friends would bring me. And it, I remember this so well. It was winter. Adele just released her 30th album. I was listening to it. I was walking the street. It was lockdown. It was dark. My friend called me, how are you? And I just started crying, walking in the middle of the street. And I said, I'm not okay. And I just had a breakdown. I was like, okay, chill for a bit and then I'll be better. And then still happening. I think I was depressed and I had never had problems with mental health. So I was started to get panic attack. I had this patient, she was a young mom and she was struggling to breathe and we've done everything to her. And when I left my shift, it was 10 p.m. I was supposed to finish at eight because she was dying. And I had to bring the family in. When I let the children come in, there are two teenage boys, so they know what's happening. And when I saw them, my heart just sunk because they will remember this. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to finish my shift and sort them out. I'm going to do this last thing for my patient. And then went home. I was so tired, fell asleep. And then on my dream, I had this patient in front of me and I was fiddling with the ventilator to make her try to breathe. And she was looking at me and I was looking at her. I was like, breathe. I want you to breathe, but she's not breathing because the machine, she's sick. And then eventually I couldn't breathe. I woke up coughing and I couldn't breathe from that dream. And then it kept happening. So that one was my trigger, by the way. So I'm feeling a bit <laughs> emotional. So the one I've just shared was the trigger for me, for my PTSD. And how are you now? So now I'm okay. I can talk about it. I had therapy. I had six, seven months therapy. It's just a bit hard looking back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, eventually I got through it. And then what made me strong about it, because I was sharing these stories on Instagram, on Twitter, what my struggles were as a frontliner with mental health problems because of COVID and PTSD. And a lot of people reach out to me, strangers, nurses, who are actually in the same boat and ask me what I did and help them as well get through all this stuff. It became a platform. And even in my unit, people started to think, oh yeah, actually, we need to take care after ourselves or else we'll be like Alfred. <laughs> because mental health is taboo in the unit. And we don't talk about it. And people took mental health breaks. People took time off sick. Nurses realize that they needed help because it honestly Debbie it was war I went to hell three times and back and that was my head so Alfred you've been really brave in sharing your experience with being on the COVID ward your PTSD and sharing what it meant to other people and getting support from others which must have felt really special at the time yeah what would you say is the thing that you learned most from that experience? I think what I've learned from all that is self-care. That it's okay to leave something for you. 
because us nurses, we give everything out to our patients to the point that you don't leave anything for yourself. Because there's always this question, who look after the care? What I learned is that you are dispensable. They can hire another overseas nurse. They can hire another staff when you're gone. And that's what I learned from my therapy is that you have to put a boundary on it because your work has to respect you as well. And always believe in science. Always believe in evidence-based things because vaccines do work. We had patients who were unvaccinated who were so sick. And we have vaccinated patients who were sick, but they didn't die. I really appreciate the fact that you're able to humanize the experience from the carer's perspective and also to share the feelings of what it's like to actually care for all those sick people because it's so easy to have the mindset of them and us when really we're all in this together. Exactly. Yeah. And because of that, that's been my platform now of just information, education, and talking about mental health as much as I can. What would you like to say or share with the audience in terms of final thoughts? I think for me, from a nurse's point of view, be kind to people and even to nurses, be kind. There is something called compassion burnout and it's happening quite a lot in a lot of healthcare people because again the cases are getting complex and honestly us in the nhs we're getting so burnt out so just be kind listen to science and look after yourself look after your mental health if you feel getting overwhelmed speak to someone it doesn't have to be a friend speak to, to the samaritans there are lines available speak to someone Because it's talking therapy is always good. Letting it all out is always good. Having someone to listen to your rants, it's good. It almost didn't end well for me. And it's just good to let it all out. Because that's an outlet, basically. Alfred, I thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you for inviting. Thank you for giving me this platform as well. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, there are details of organisations that offer advice and support in the show notes.